1: Welcome to the Civil Engineering Podcast. This is Chris Knutson, your host for this episode of the only podcast specifically for civil engineers who want to succeed and achieve in their civil engineering careers. I hope this finds you doing well wherever you are in the world. Whatever project you're working on, it finds me doing awesome, specifically because I was finally able to link up with today's guest, Amanda Payne. We've been trying for nearly six months to get a date that works. We finally did. Now I'm sharing it with you. I know you're going to walk away with some great action items to explore on the topic of becoming and being a seller doer and business development. So she is going to share with us some great insight that she has developed in her career as a business development and marketing expert in the engineering architectural design services industry. We're going to specifically hit on why engineering firm leadership must set realistic and measurable expectations for their seller doers, what you as a seller doer should be looking at as far as expectations and setting those expectations, the importance of business strategy, what you can do to further develop or even start developing your skills. And she's going to share some great experience and a couple of really good stories about the importance of professional organizations and how those can really impact and accelerate your leadership development, professional development, networking, and ultimately business development. And these are a lot of concepts that we touch on here on the Sibling Dream Podcast. Anthony and I have certainly touched on some of these, and really many of these, same topics over on the Engineering Career Coach Podcast, and gaining Amanda's perspective was great for me. I know it's going to be useful for you as well. So the episode's packed with a lot of useful information, and the tools, books, and the other key takeaways that are going to be captured are going to be in the show notes, and you can navigate over to civilengineeringpodcast.com, look for this episode of Amanda Payne, and then tap into the knowledge to build your skills, or the skills of your project team or your employees. And so without further ado, let's just go ahead and jump into today's Civil Engineering Conversation with Amanda Payne. Civil Engineering Podcast.
0: Civil Engineering Podcast.
1: Now it's time for this week's Civil Engineering Conversation, and today's guest is Amanda Payne. Amanda is responsible for both business development and marketing for Farnsworth Group, a national full-service engineering architectural firm employing more than 450 professionals and is currently the only business development and marketing professional in Farnsworth Group's St. Louis office. Since joining the firm in 2011, the office has grown from 40 employees to a staff of 90 and at the same time has experienced a revenue growth from roughly $7 million in 2011 to approximately $20 million in 2014. That's an increase of nearly 200%. Amanda handles all marketing proposal development for St. Louis and Southern Illinois, as well as resume management, advertising, presentations, social media, and establishing and maintaining relationships with clients in the local industry. She studied two years in architecture at Drury University before graduating from Webster University with a degree in management with an emphasis in marketing. She's also the immediate past president of the Society of Marketing Professional Services, St. Louis chapter, served on the 2012 and 2013 board as the director of membership, is a member of the Missouri Society of Healthcare Engineering, Society of American Military Engineers, and serves on the board for the city of Webster Groves, Missouri Taxing District. And Amanda also has led Farnsworth Group's St. Louis office United Way campaign since 2011. A very busy woman who was able to find time to get on this podcast with me. And Amanda, welcome to the show.
2: Thank you. Thanks for having me.
1: Absolutely, very excited to have you here. And what a what an awesome resume. I mean, very active participation in professional societies and the community, both inside and outside your firm. And so just up front, I got to ask, I mean, first off, it obviously takes up a lot of your time, but how has this contributed to your professional and personal development?
2: Well, I can tell you before I uh, got involved, I, I do owe most of my success to the organizations I've been involved with, especially SMPS. Back in 2011, I i guess it was around October, I had been with Farnsworth Group for almost was a little over six months. And at the time, our business development director in the St. Louis office had said, "Uh, you really need to get involved with this organization. It's called SMPS. I think you'll do well. Uh, Long story short, I reached out to him. I joined. And within six months, I was on a committee. And then as you uh, just read in my biography, within the next year, I was on the board. And then I was nominated for president and just being involved in organization to that degree on on the board level and even committee levels. It enhances your career. You meet a ton of people. The organization itself, I'm talking about SNPS, is great in regards to everybody is very welcoming. They want to see you grow in your career. They want to help you grow by offering great different training programs and different sessions. And then also networking programs. And so by doing that and by getting involved, I've met a lot of people along the way. I've developed both professional and personal relationships with a lot of people. And it's really enhanced my career.
1: I think one of the things that, I just, that really strikes me, what you just shared with us, is the fact that you just learned about this organization in 2011. And you've just now wrapped up a, a leadership period as being the president of the chapter and we've talked a lot Anthony my uh, my partner on these podcasts we we talk a lot about leadership and the need to be able to have these different opportunities creating these opportunities to be able to go out there as a, as an engineer and and get involved in the organizations to to find leadership to be able to take leadership and the fact that you came into the organization really in 2011 and within just a matter of a couple of years you were in these leadership positions is phenomenal a compliment to to your abilities and, uh, and for everyone that's listening, it's just another proof positive of the fact that the, there's a lot to be found in these professional and technical organizations that are sitting out there for uh, for leadership development. You just got to take take advantage of it. The other piece of it is where the business and the networking opportunities that came through that. So obviously this contributed to your professional and personal development. In this episode, we're going to be talking about business development. So I would assume that some of to me like you, you really become involved in an organization like this because... There's a business link to it.
2: Right. And all the organizations I do belong to, there are different parts of each organization that are very influencing on my position at Farnsworth Group. And one of the things I think that if, if people are looking to join organizations or want to be more involved, there's so many different organizations out there, especially professional organizations. Uh, and so kind of doing your research and figuring out which one has Potential clients there, so it's not a complete waste of your time. But also um, potential other AEC firms that you one can meet and get to know and get to know their employees uh, well on that level. But also then there's uh, partnering roles um, that you you know you want to develop those relationships with other firms. So. You can maybe down the road partner with each other. So there's many different aspects to organizations. And then also on the personal side, you know, which one do you feel like you would fit in best? And so when you're looking at that, I highly encourage each person uh, to really research and think through before you join, maybe go to a couple of programs or events to see if that's the crowd that really you feel like you would fit in well with. And so for me, I kind of lucked out because, one, I'm obviously the most involved with SNPS. There are many different AEC firms in there. Some are competitors. Some are, you know, people that over time I've developed relationships with. And now they call me and say, hey, do you want to partner on this project? And so that opens up the doors. And, you know, MOSHI, uh, the Missouri Society of Healthcare Engineering, they have a lot of facilities managers that, that go to events. And a lot of other, you know, vendors and that sort. So that's a good uh, organization for me to belong to because it's a little different from SMPS. It's not so many principal, director, manager level people, but in marketing and business development. But then you have the facilities manager level that, you know, you need to be engaged with as well on a business development standpoint. And then, as you know, Chris, and this is how we met, but uh, SAME or S-A-M-E or Society of American Military Engineers, same thing. You, you know, you're dealing with colonels, you're dealing with people in the service, and it's just a great way to engage um, in a different audience as well. So it's really up to the individual and up to your company. And it's important to sit down with your managers and um, talk about what organizations fit best with what your firm is trying to, you know, to market to.
1: Two great points uh, I just take away from there is that you know, as you look at the, at the organizations, and you're right, there's just there's, there's really a, just a really vast number of professional and technical organizations that are out there across, across. if we're really kind of looking at the, you know, maybe the U.S. and Canada, just there's a lot of organizations out there But it's this key component, I suspect we're going to probably come back to this a few different times in the conversation today, but it's back linked to that strategy with the the organization that you're in. You know, there's, what's the culture of that professional or technical organization you're looking at? What's their focus? And how does that best link up with what your focus and strategy is within your own firm, especially if you're looking at it from a uh, development of network and relationships and so on and so forth. So that's a great point on that. Well, we are talking today about business development and specifically a term that I want to bring out, because this is one that, uh, honestly, I didn't really even, I didn't really know about until just a couple of years ago. And that's a, that's a term known, it's out there, seller doer. I'll just throw it out there. It's the uh, kind of a label that's been put on uh, engineers and, and other project professionals who are in this role of doing business development, but are also in the role of doing uh, engineering. And I'd be interested to hear about your thoughts on what, what does that term mean to you? How do you perceive a seller-doer? And for specifically for civil engineers that are in the, uh, the AEC industry, maybe kind of help people understand a little bit more about what that seller-doer's role truly is.
2: So in our industry, to me, it's basically it's employees who have Broad skills sets they have. They're very good at communication. They're very good with networking. Basically, they are expected to go out there and potentially grow sales and meet clients or prospective clients, as well as they have the whole technical side of their role as well. So They would also be handling the design and or deliver a product or service for the client. So, you know, when you see seller doer, it really is explained exactly as it is. You're a technical person who handles um, also business development. And the role really began around uh, the downfall in the economy back in like 2008 to 2010, 2011 time when employers were forced to really evaluate their operations and streamline their processes because of the huge cuts in budget and revenue at the time. So that's really when you saw this whole new role develop into this whole seller-doer. And it has really taken off. And I think a lot of firms are still sticking with it because there's a huge benefit to being able to not only go out and meet with clients or potential clients, but to also be able to technical talk as well, you know, be able to talk engineering and be able to, um, if they ask you questions about past projects, you can really go into great detail, greater detail than maybe a business development professional who doesn't have the technical background. So there is, um, great benefit to being a seller doer in our industry.
1: Yeah, Absolutely. And it's, it's something that I know a lot of not only engineering firms are interested in, in seeing these skills grown in their engineers and the, and the other project professionals that they have on their staff. But I also know that a lot of our listeners, a lot of visitors to the engineering career coach are, are interested in their, their own right in developing these skills, the skills of networking, communications, and what I'll call core skills, which, you know, get into all the, all the elements of communications and developing relationships and so on and so forth. I'd be interested to to hear your thoughts, especially having served as a, you know, the president in the S.M.P.S. and have had an opportunity to you know to see a number of different E.C. firms and how they operate. But from the perspective of let's say an engineering CEO, engineering firm CEO, or senior partner, when it comes to setting expectations for a, an engineer that might be in a seller doer role. What do you think would be some realistic expectations that they might want to set for that individual?
2: There are tough challenges associated with being a successful seller doer because you have dual roles that you're working with. So I would say, you know, expectations are that you're trying to balance your primary job function and your secondary job function. And so how do you prioritize and shift back and forth from the selling and the doing? And the people that fulfill these roles you know it's really about time management and setting realistic expectations and you have to put measures in place so going back to time management it's often an issue for many individuals and in this type of role and in any type of role really you know a lot of uh, seller doers also have a percentage of billable hours that they need but on the flip side you're supposed to sell for your company which is non-billable so really the expectations that companies need to have for engineers is they need to set targets and goals for each individual. And they need to also understand what their objectives are. I highly encourage a strategic action plan that the company needs to have in place. So the seller doer understands which current clients you're in charge of managing and which network of relationships you need to develop that aligns with your firm's market strategy. And so by doing that and setting those goals of which discipline you're going to be working with your firm. So if you're a more of a full service firm like Farnsworth Group, are you handling civil engineering or MEP or do you have more of a specific market that you need to focus on like healthcare or federal? And then set those clients so then that way you know as the seller-doer um, that you have this understanding and a focus on building and maintaining those relationships. Also, another uh, great point is if there's any training or, as we just talked about, organizations, conferences that your firm wants you to be involved in, then you would like to know as well ahead of time so you can kind of plan that that time out relating back to the whole time management And uh, if you are in this whole seller-doer role and maybe it's a newer role for you or maybe if you just feel like you haven't been very successful in the role, don't be afraid to talk to your employer about positives and negatives. Communication is always key in building internal planning and processes to ensure success for your firm and success for you.
1: Those are really great points, especially this last one that I really want to key in on here, which was the importance of communicating, really seeking what I would call 360 degrees feedback. So going back to your employer, your manager, if you will, and uh, and getting the feedback that you have if you are a seller doer in this role, and especially if you're just stepping into that role and learning, I can very well see where it would be a steep learning curve, and especially if you don't have a, a clearly laid out strategic action plan or you know, really haven't had those discussions about how to, you know, split your time between doing this selling and doing a role, that it's going to be very important to have that communications and that feedback. So uh, so those are really good points. Kind of tied to that same one, we just talked about maybe some expectations. We're stepping into it for the seller-doer from the perspective of the, of the company, but have you ever observed or could you think of maybe some unrealistic expectations that might be placed in the seller-doer? Because it's nice to have realistic ones, and we've just talked about that. In my mind, I can see where there could be some unrealistic ones that might be thrown out there. So I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on that.
2: I think the two areas that are really unrealistic that I have seen is, one, uh, the firm choosing the wrong person in the seller role. You know, more times than not, you have uh, a person in this in this role who, I'm just going to throw it out there, they're in a room full of business developers, and as most people know, business development professionals and uh, project managers are two types of individuals who are usually they have differences in their personalities and their thinking processes. Most business development professionals are very outgoing and walk right up and shake your hand and hey, how's it going? And not all technical. So I don't want to um, I don't want to say everybody, but there are many technical folks who are a little more reserved. You know, they like to think things through before they meet people. They like to have plans. And so you're, you're having two um, very different parties. And so sometimes when you choose maybe the wrong person in that role, maybe they're great at design and they're excellent at research and finding clients and finding you know information about companies. But when you get them out in an atmosphere where they need to meet people and walk up to a stranger and introduce themselves – You know, they just can't do it. So firms need to make sure that they have individuals who have the personality to be able to walk into a room and um, be comfortable introducing themselves to strangers and being able to want to meet new people. And if they're not very comfortable talking to potential clients, then maybe they're not going to be the most successful in that in that
1: role. Those are really, really, really good points. And just to, to kind of pack those into two words, I, I, I would say that you're really looking at, at unrealistic expectations over networking, and really un, unrealistic expectations over skills. Mm-hmm. So those are really, really important. And we're going to come back. I've got a question I'm going to ask you a little bit later on about the uh, training piece because I think that's something that's vitally important, and we'll touch on that in a moment. But on the networking piece, I, I just and we'll we'll link this up in the show notes. But I just want to. I'll do a shout out at this point. We, uh, I had the opportunity to do an interview with Suzanne Roanne just the exceptional network. I mean, she is the network. She's the mingling maven. Um, mm-hmm. Episode number 80 of the Engineering Career Coach, we'll link that one up. But uh, she provides just some amazing, amazing insight on, uh, on networking. And uh, we really got into the details, uh, especially for Engineers, as you point out, engineers and project professionals who are not aren't necessarily you know world renowned and known (laughs) as being uh, being able to work a room. So we'll make sure we link that one up. I think that's that's definitely an important one as far as unrealistic expectations are concerned. So on the maybe kind of continue down this on down this trail a little bit. So we're kind of looking at the uh, expectations from the perspective of the of the company, but let's maybe switch this now 180 degrees and talk about skills. And we're really going to start unpacking the skills portion of this, but it's also expectations as well. But some of the skills that someone who's going to be a seller doer is going to need to possess, or more importantly, develop, to really be effective in that
0: role.
2: Well, as I mentioned before, you have to be great at communication. I mean, if you are not good at communicating, you're probably not going to do very well in the seller role, and that's just as business developers. You talk to most people who are in business development and you ask them, you know, what their degrees in. And, you know, you have some people who say history or, you know, and then you wonder, well, how the heck did you get into business development? But a lot of them, it's communications. Their degrees in communications or marketing, but they have a minor in communications. So... I mean, communication is key to anything really, but in business development it's extremely important and you have to be very personable. You have to be approachable as well because you know, you walk up to a potential client, well, if you don't look personable and if you look angry and if you look like a mean person, most likely they're not going to probably want to engage in a full boat conversation with you. So those two, you know, communication and being personable kind of go hand in hand. You also have to be great at research, so you know how to look up your clients before you meet them. If you have a meeting with even a different engineering firm or architecture firm or whatever, it doesn't matter what the meeting is, even if you know potentially down the road probably wouldn't lead to work, you still have to research because you never know where word of mouth gets you. And if you're if you're talking to somebody and you know about their firm and they can tell you've done your research, they're going to be one, impressed that you did that. But two, word of mouth goes a long way in any industry, but especially in the EC industry. And you also have to have a great memory because you need to remember others' names, everybody that you meet. You really need to know who they are and remembering conversations with, you know, with people that, you know, anybody could be another engineer. It could be CEO of a firm. It could be a facilities manager. But more times than not, if I run into a client or a potential client and I bring up a past conversation I had with them, even if it was months prior, they are truly impressed that I remembered what we talked about, whether it's personal or professional. You know, if I bring up, how are your two boys doing or, you know, is it baseball season? Because I remember that they told me that their kids played baseball. But if you remember it, then they're going to feel like you cared about what they were talking about and what was being discussed. And it will get you a far way.
1: Let me ask you this. How do you do that? Do you have a couple of tactics that you use to remember that?
2: Well, you know, um, I do. LinkedIn is a great tool for remembering people usually if i'm at an event and i get 10 business cards you know sometimes i try to write notes on them when i get out to my car after the event but sometimes it doesn't always happen but finding them on linkedin and you know connecting with them on linkedin is huge one because it helps you remember who they are Uh, because let's let's face it sometimes you have 10 business cards in front of you and you're like wait who is this guy again or who was this woman that i was talking to But I know with most people, the power of looking at somebody's photo and remembering, oh, yeah, that's right. She was talking about her dog or she has two boys or whatever it might be. It it helps you remember. And then documenting those notes, you know, keeping notes, whether it's in Outlook under your contacts. I know some people keep notes there, Uh, whether you have your own spreadsheet, just keeping the notes and following up with people is very important in our industry because, it makes the potential client or, you know, the professional you were talking to, it makes them feel good that you reached back out to them to say, hey, it was really nice talking to you last night. You know, good luck with this or, you know, whatever your conversation was about. But but using the social media websites is a big part of just how our industry works now. Social media in general is huge, but utilizing it is is really key as well.
1: Okay, that's, that's really good. So I just came across this as we start talking about social media and LinkedIn. You know, they went through, by the time we we're recording this, they, LinkedIn changed a lot of how they do their, some of the the services they provide with connection and relationship. It looks like really almost like relationship management. I don't know if you've noticed that or not, but I'm in right now looking at a, one of my connections on their relationship and it looks like you can add a note you can add a reminder there's a little note you can come in here and talk about how you met mm-hmm. do you use linkedin to that level or do you have like another way that you you know cuz i used to use business cards and like right on the back
2: <laughs> yeah
1: which is like really difficult because <laughs> honestly there's no way i'm ever going to go back and look through this big stack of business cards
2: right your rolodex <laughs> <laughs> exactly
1: exactly so I don't know if you've used LinkedIn or not. I just started doing this because I found out that they have the uh, capability because it's what I would call a low-cost-to-entry CRM system.
2: Right. So I have not used that on LinkedIn, but we do. At Farnsworth Group, we have a CRM system. And um, so I will write notes for my contacts through there or through Outlook, too. It's really helpful sometimes because when you create a... And a contact through Outlook, you know, you, there's a notes area you can type in your notes and stuff. Now be careful if you share that with others. You know, if somebody asks you, hey, can you send me this contact and you send it on to them, make sure you take the notes out before you send it. Uh, yeah. You know, other people I have heard just keep something as simple as an Excel spreadsheet because it works best for them. You know, so really it's just whatever you're comfortable with. You know, I have heard that LinkedIn now is doing it and I've seen it, but I haven't I haven't utilized it yet. But it's definitely something that I think down the road more and more people will use. And, you know, I will probably use myself, especially as it gets more and more convenient, you know, because they just started it. So
1: I just started using it myself. I had an event that I went to a couple of weeks ago and it, uh, it actually was pretty helpful. So um, we'll see how that plays out. And for those that are listening going, gosh, what is a CRM? That's a customer relationship management tool. So it's essentially a database or whatever method you can put in place. Amanda mentioned a spreadsheet just something simple for you to keep track of who you meet where you met them, you know other key details, key information that you can use to refresh yourself before you go to your next conference or next event just gives you an opportunity to be able to bring yourself up to speed on uh, and who you're going to be working with and who you're going to be dealing with so that's uh, those are really good points there. So kind of moving along here it's uh, and this this really ties back into, an earlier question that I had asked, which was was talking about expectations of the seller doer in their role, and we we got into the discussion about time time management and really you know setting the expectation between the different roles they may be in, and specifically when we get into the the discussion about billable hours versus maybe overhead hours and, and whatnot. So I've heard Amanda that there's you know there's industry standards that are out there for these multipliers on billable to to non billable for somebody in seller doer roles. I've heard. Like eight to ten factors, basically, you know, that an individual would need to bring in, let's say, eight to ten times as much for their billable work as salary. If you have, is there a source that somebody could go to to look at to find out these types of rates, or what are your thoughts or your experience with regards to these kinds of uh, multipliers?
2: You know, um, it's interesting that you said that. I hate to say it, but I don't, I don't know of any areas that maybe you could go to, I'm sure you could research them on the internet, um, different billable, you know, what's the multiplier for, you know, this business development salary or, you know, whatever I've heard. And um, I've seen before where, and this is for more business development professionals, you know, let's say your salary is a hundred thousand and, you know, you have a year plus benefits at 35% and then overhead, you know, with like your laptop and your office space and, you know, your car allowance or whatever it might be. Let's just say it ends up being like with the annual cost being around 270,000 with, you know, all the, you know, overhead, including your salary. And then you know you have a ten percent gross profit. Then you would need to secure basically because you you have to assume that ten percent. You as a business development professional would need to secure two point seven million. I've I've heard of things like that, but with seller doers, it's very different. I feel like because you know more than, times than not, seller doers still have a billable percentage that they have to hit for their company, whether it's sixty percent, eighty percent. It just depends. It depends on the firm. Smaller firms might have higher multipliers uh, to make up for the overhead cost plus the technical staff that doesn't handle business development. That person who's in the seller-doer role has to bring in enough revenue to um, cover the cost for the technical staff that is not in a, in a business development role. You know, like Farnsworth Group, we base our numbers off of like the previous year budget. And so we have a certain percentage increase for the next year's budget. And then we break it down by disciplines. So really, 80% of Farnsworth Group is, you know, in the seller doer role. So we don't really say, hey, you have to bring in eight to 10 times as much billable work as your salary. We just say, this is our target of you know what we want to hit for the year for the budget, and so you know you have this billable percentage, but on the business development side, you know we we want you to be out and selling and that sort. But but we really don't have set multipliers; we just have set numbers. I mean, I would assume every firm is a little different depending on whether you're smaller or you're larger.
1: Okay, and that's I mean that's very insightful because I think what that what I just take away from that is that is that actually by having seller doers you really kind of spread that overhead cost if you will maybe that's not the right word but you really spread that you spread that overhead cost over more people so it's really at the end of the day it's if you've got engineers that are that are in those roles the technical design they're in billable positions if they're contributing to a portion of bringing business in that gets spread out over more people so you have less almost less liability or less cost basically cost overhead so i think it's a right. interesting way of looking at that and and perhaps, especially in smaller firms, uh, is you know we kind of mentioned this is you know th- this whole concept really lit on fire with the uh, with the downturn in the economy, and no doubt is if you look at that, if if you look at those overhead costs as potential risks, if you're concerned about future environmental factors affecting firm viability, yeah, this could be an interesting you know definitely an interesting uh, direction to go. So at this point, I just you know, I want to ask ask if you wouldn't mind maybe just sharing a little bit more about. Your experiences with the Society for Marketing Professional Services, or SMPS, because I heard you mention, you know, really at the front about how pivotal a role that organization played in developing you as a leader, developing you in your current role in business development with Farnsworth Group, and in the, uh, the different connections that it was able to make for you, both personally, professionally, and in through business. Is this an organization that a seller, doer engineer may want to join, or is this something that's predominantly outside the engineering realm, so they may be entering into a new space?
2: Absolutely. SNPS, it's a national organization. We have chapters all throughout the United States. We have a chapter in Honolulu, Hawaii. We have a chapter in Anchorage, Alaska. We have two chapters in Canada, one being Ontario, and I believe the other one's in Toronto. It's a huge organization. There's over 6,000 members of the organization alone. I think people see, you know, Society for Marketing Professional Services, and they see the word marketing, and they think automatically, oh, gosh, no, I'm a director of business development. That's just probably all about marketing. And it's really not. There's tons of directors, and we have CEOs of firms who belong to SMPS, you know, and then we have marketing specialists who are a part of SMPS it's a wide range of people and the great thing is because it's so diverse every month the programs can be altered to meet the needs for each individual so one month we might have a healthcare panel so you know naturally we're bringing in facilities managers of you know the top 5 healthcare facilities in St. Louis well of course that's going to draw all the directors of business development and the principals and the CEO of firms because they want to meet those people. But then we also have programs some months that focus on Photoshop and InDesign and tips and tricks and you know how to improve your skills in, in those areas. And then that draws a lot of marketing people in and directors of marketing and marketing managers. And And even um, some business development people who are in maybe dual roles where they play, you know, they also do marketing and business development like myself. But also, you know, at some firms, directors of business development are over the marketing staff. So they want to come and see what's changed in, you know, Photoshop and, you know, how it's different from when it was two years ago. So long story short, SMPS is very diverse. It's all about Basically, furthering your knowledge in the AEC industry. They have a national conference every year that is huge. Usually, typically, there's over between 800 and 900 people there. And and talk about a room full of just powerhouse people, you know, from company um, firm owners to some people are just administrators for their company, but they send them there anyways because they might help out with some marketing material in your office or So I highly recommend SMPS. I think for that whole seller-doer role, you know, I talked about how firms sometimes don't provide the training necessary to really um, help out a a seller-doer, especially in the business development side. And SMPS does that. You know, we offer workshops for business developers to come. Last year, for example, we had somebody come and talk to business development people about memorization and how to memorize people's names. And when you meet 100 people, how do you distinguish this person from that person? So it really does touch base with many different areas. And and let's be honest, now in our um, in our industry, even if you are a business developer or a project manager or just, in, you know, you're an engineer or you're an engineer intern, you might have some marketing things that you might have to handle from time to time. Or, you know, you might be a part of an interview from time to time. And so you need to develop those skills if you go to an interview to be able to talk to a client. There's an advantage to being a part of the organization.
1: Yeah, it certainly sounds like it. I mean, there's a a lot of these, a lot of the skills, and it's something that sounds to me like it's relatively low-cost low barrier to entry for any engineer that's out there. So even if you're not in a seller-doer role now, but you're looking at wanting to position yourself for that type of a role to really develop and build the skills that you need, this sounds like a very low cost, um, low barrier to entry a way to go about doing that. We'll certainly link up in the show notes the appropriate links to SMPS so people can go out there and uh, get themselves educated about what that organization is all about. So thanks for sharing that. Really a, a kind of a follow-up to that, because especially within the engineering world and in the industry that we work within, there's licensure on the engineering side, but then there's also a lot of certifications that come with that. So as far as business development is, is concerned, are there any certifications that are out there that are available, and, and do you think that they're useful? Well,
2: actually, through SMPS, I'm sorry, I keep touching back on them, but... Um, They offer um, a certification, it's called CPSM. It's Certified Professional Services Marketer. And a lot of people um, are CPSMs throughout the US and and throughout Canada. It's basically a way to joining a distinguished group of professionals who um, they've made a commitment to, you know, their career and advancing their career and ongoing their knowledge in the industry and, you know, through marketing and business development. And so there are many people who find it beneficial to being certified. And so basically, uh, you to become certified, you have to have so many years in the industry, depending on your degree. And then, you know, for the roles, they want to know basically what you've done in business development and marketing in that time. And so there's an application you can fill out, and it's, it's actually on the SMPS website. And there's more information on, you know, just the guidelines and the test and how much the test costs. I know if you're a member of SMPS, it's significantly less uh, money than if you are a non-member, but non-members of can also become CPSMs as well.
1: SMPS.org forward slash certification. So relatively simple to get to and we'll link it up. Well, we're kind of wrapping up here, Amanda. I've got Two final questions I'd like to ask you. It's the questions I ask all the guests that come on the show. And the first one is: is if you would not mind maybe sharing with us a book, you know, just one book that you would recommend to others that you found to be really helpful in your professional or personal development.
2: One is um, the Harvard Business Review. Actually, a uh, president of a local architect firm came in, and you know, I met her, and uh, you know, we talked, and we talked about some resources to help with improving your career and and that sort. Oh, and I didn't touch base on this and I want to touch base on it really quickly. Chris, I highly recommend too, if you want to improve in business development and I've done it and it really has helped me greatly is find a mentor um, in the industry to be able to talk to and meet maybe every six weeks, every eight weeks, depending on whatever works best with your schedule. Having a mentor is huge because when you feel like you're stuck or you feel like you're not going where you want to go and you're you know not as successful as you feel like you should be or you can go to your mentor and ask them questions and they can talk to you about where they've been in their life and how they've gotten through it and you know so i do highly recommend that and so going back to you know Tracy i kind of see her as a, a mentor figure in the industry and so i asked her you know what do you recommend reading you know different reads and stuff cuz I'm a mom and I don't have a lot of time to read big old hefty books. And, uh, and to be quite honest, sometimes I just don't want to read big old hefty books. So I like quick reads. And Harvard Business Review is a magazine and it's great. They have really good articles just on business itself, but they also have articles just about different things. You know, sometimes it's interaction. Sometimes it's just the workplace and, you know, how to improve yourself in the workplace. But I feel like business is business no matter what, no matter what industry you're in. And so just kind of reading articles and staying up on, you know, what's going on in business is huge. And then for those who want like more of a reset resource type of book, I recommend it's called Marketing Handbook for uh, the Design and Construction Professional. And it is great because it focuses on six different domains in marketing and business development is actually tied in. But, um, you know, there's a part on marketing research and then there's a section on strategic business marketing planning. And then there's a part on client and business development and then proposals and uh, qualifications and then promotional activity. And the last part that it covers is marketing and business performance. But just reading through those different domains, those six domains, it really furthers your knowledge on in marketing in general. I mean, I went to school for marketing and I read through the book and felt like, what did I go to school for? (laughs) But no, you know, in the end, though, it has a lot of great information and resources that you can revert back to. and, And it really does help kind of inform you on, on different things that firms are doing. And it gives you a lot of like case studies and and examples of this firm did this, and this is what helped them. And, and I really like books like that. I want to read that it worked. I don't want to just read that you need to do it.
1: That's a great resource. And as we're sitting here, this is the beauty of uh, technology because as we're sitting here, I, I just pulled this up on Amazon. So, uh, as soon as we finish up the interview today, I'll probably be hitting, bye. <laughs> <laughs> this is a good, it definitely looks like a great resource. I appreciate that.
2: And get the third edition. There's different editions. I think the okay. third is most recent. And even that one is kind of getting a little outdated just in the sense of, you know, it kind of talks about email or search engines and stuff. You know, and then you're kind of like, okay. <laughs> but overall concept of the book is is great.
1: That's awesome. I appreciate that. And I've got one final question for you. It's it's really it's the critical civil engineering career elevator advice question. So if you, if you got into an elevator with a civil engineer Amanda and you had 30 40 seconds with him or her and had to give them career advice in that really short period of time, what piece of of gold would you hand off to them?
2: I would try to explain to them the value of networking and how, you know, how important it is to really Get to know people um, and get to know people not only in the industry, but just in general, because as I mentioned before, who you know is very critical for where you can go in your life and build those relationships, because those relationships are what's going to last, not the projects, the projects you'll design, they'll be great, they'll be Beautiful, you know, depending on what you do, <laughs> if you're a structural engineer or, you know, they'll hold up. If uh, civil, you know, or wastewater engineer, you know, things will drain and it'll, it'll be great. But once that project's done, it's done. But it's the relationship you build from that that is hopefully lasting and remains a relationship for a long time. And that's the important part of every project is who you meet and, and how you, I guess, maintain that relationship from there.
1: Thank you very much, Amanda, for, for that insight. And, and really, thank you for joining with joining with me today on this episode. It's, it's great. I know that we uh, we started a number of months ago to try to get this lined up. And it's uh, it's great that we were able to finally work out the schedules and, and, and bring you on the show. The information you shared with us is huge. So again, thank you very much.
2: Thank you so much for thinking about me and having me on the show.
1: And everyone, please remember, you can find the show notes for this episode at civilengineeringpodcast.com. And while you're there, leave Anthony and I a little feedback. Provide us some lessons learned, if you will, or better yet, go over to iTunes and leave us a review. We need the feedback loop closed so that we can continue to improve, to deliver you the highest quality insight from civil engineer and project delivery professionals from around the world, and to help us do the best job that we can in bringing that information to you. And until next time, I wish you all the best in your civil engineering endeavors.